Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Hello to everybody who's uh, watching online this morning. Happy Mother's Day. You know, there's probably no tougher job in the world than being a mother, and it deserves but doesn't always receive great and lasting honor. The fifth of the Ten Commandments teaches us to honor our mothers and our fathers, but we'll get to you guys for about 30 seconds in June, okay? (laughs) But it, it promises a reward for doing so, and it's the only one of the Ten Commandments that's like that. It says that you will live a long, full life in the land that God gives you for honoring your father and your mother. And when I speak about mothers today, please understand that I'm referring to a a wide variety of people. Foster mothers, stepmoms, adoptive mothers, birth mothers, and even those who have stepped into the role of being mother to someone they have no legal or family connection with. We have one young lady who was a single mom who raised four of her own kids and then took in five of her sister's children for a good amount of time and is right now raising a beautiful young girl who's not bloodline hers, but you wouldn't know the difference through the love and the care that she gives. And I know many of you have done that. Motherhood can bring immeasurable joy as well as unbearable pain. And it's ironic in life that the people that bring us the greatest happiness can also cause the deepest hurt, right? I never want to go through a Mother's Day without mentioning and acknowledging those of you mothers who have lost your children one way or another through death or divorce, custody issues, whatever it is. I've been in contact a lot with one mother in our New Covenant family just this last week and a half who's 24-year-old son died tragically just last week. And I know others of you moms, several in our family here, whose children died decades ago, but it still hurts. The pain never goes away, but God in his mercy does help us learn to deal with it in a powerful and positive way. And scripture in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5 walks through that step of how God will bring us his comfort and peace during our greatest pain and then down the road and we're a little better when we're ready he'll place someone else in our path who's going through the same thing or something very similar and give us the opportunity to point them to God's peace and comfort he promises that he will do that and for those of you mothers who's Adult children, for whatever reason, are estranged. They're not speaking to you or they're not in communication or they've just disappeared. My heart goes out to you. Never, ever give up. Been through it myself. Not currently, thankfully, but continue to pray for reconciliation. It happens and it's beautiful and it's so worth it when it does. And likewise, we always want to be sensitive and caring and kind to those who have a deep desire to be a mother, but for whatever reason have been unable to have children. Infertility was a recurring issue in the Old Testament scripture. If you think back, uh, Abram and Sarai, Jacob and Rachel, Elkanah and Hannah and others, each of those women, after a long, hard struggle, were able to conceive. Same with John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth. 
but we know that conception doesn't always happen and, and it can be painful. That's another thing Rose and I went through for three, three or four years and it, it really plays tricks in your brain if you're not careful with it. But please know that for each and every one of you mothers, regardless of your current situation, we are praying deeply every day that Jesus will continue to work in the lives of you and your children. You know, for most, not all women, there is an instinctive desire to be a mother. To be a good mother is a difficult calling, and to be a great mom is a fine art that requires a lot of the characteristics that Jesus taught us about how to be good Christians, right? You have to be willing to sacrifice, to put the good of others, your children, ahead of yourself. How many times do we, do we see in the media many of the world's most successful people remember back to their mom going without food for periods of time so her children could eat? Through all of the happy times and the immense joy that comes with the celebration of things like graduations and weddings and big accomplishments, to the hurt and the pain that are inevitable for most of us, moms, please do not ever underestimate the influence you have in the lives of your children and in your children's friends from the moment they are born until you take your last breath. Anna Adkins spoke yesterday at her mother's service for Amalia, and, and it was beautiful to hear her reflections and the rest of the family and, and Pastor David on, on what Amalia meant to them and to the family. And speaking of influence, you know, Jesus himself, who was God in human form, said to his mom, my time has not yet come, when she told him, well, the host of the wedding we're at is run out of wine, and... And he knew what she was asking him to do. And he said, no, it's not, it's not time. I'm not ready yet. And then a few minutes later, he performed his first recorded miracle, went and changed water into wine anyway. I would have loved to have heard that prayer or seen it recorded in Scripture. But God, it's Mom, and she's telling me I'm going to do it. You know how that goes, right? So many of us owe our mothers big time. And, and I'm one. My mom took me to church as a little boy, and I can remember sitting next to her in the sanctuary, leaning up against her arms, smelling her perfume, and, and, and feeling just so special. And in my teens and 20s, I became a prodigal, and I ran away from the faith. But my mom continued to pray. She would planted a seed in my heart that would not be washed away, even through 20 years of selfish, reckless living. And today, I owe a great debt of gratitude to my mother. And there's one pastor that reminded me at the uh, Men of Honor event that I spoke at Friday night, the key thing with families. Husbands, easy to remember, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, okay? I look at my wife Rose and I'm amazed at the time and effort and love that she has poured into all three of our girls and our son. And I know I wouldn't be half of the father I am were she not such an amazing mother to our children. And ladies, I promise that even if they can't express that openly, that your husbands and your children feel the same way. And I pray that today and every day, you will each do your best to honor your mother. Jesus, we know, was concerned for his all the way up to his, his last breath in John 
19.25, we read, standing near the cross where Jesus' mother, when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to his disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, that disciple took her into his home. Jesus made sure with his last breath that mom was going to be okay. And several other places in Scripture, Jesus spoke of us caring for our parents in their older years to the best of our ability. Those of you who've gone through it, we call it the sandwich generation where you're, you're uh, stuck in the middle, you're still raising your own kids, and you're starting to take care of your, your older parents. Our situations and points of view change uh, rather drastically through the decades. The parents who put up with us for years suddenly begin to act like teenagers themselves. And it's a different story when the tables have turned and you're responsible for taking care of them as they did for you. Just think of it as your payback from way back. <laughs> and again, I say, Happy Mother's Day. I think most of us would agree the best moms love their children unconditionally and do everything they can to help them without spoiling them. I know that's a big temptation. I'm always on rose about how she, in my mind, spoils our kids. Or, or, or making them feel entitled. In my mind, the best moms are not afraid to be tough when they need to be. Not afraid to tell their children no. Not afraid to teach them that there are consequences for our actions and for are inactions. If you don't do your homework, or if you don't do your chores, if you don't get a job, there is a price to pay. This is an important lesson for every child to learn from their mother. So moms, don't be afraid to be the best kind of a mom and lay down the law. Now, it's no coincidence that for the rest of our time today, the main subject of our message will be looking at God's law, its purpose, and its place in our life. We're going to return to the series called The Red Letters, Jesus Said. And as we continue to work our way through what we call the Sermon on the Mount, it's interesting, no one in Scripture ever called it that, nor did Jesus. It was a really long talk, a teaching on a hillside, not actually on a mountain. And it was truly much more than just a sermon, more, more like probably like an all-day seminar. And regardless, this message actually launched a worldwide revelation and a revolution in moral thinking. In the book Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard writes, what Jesus had to say about the human good and evil was of sufficient depth, power, and justification to dominate European culture and its offshoots for 2,000 years. Nobody has any idea of what Europe and the Western world would mean apart from Jesus and his words. Think about that. One man. The historian of morals, W.E.H. Lecky, describes the teachings of Jesus as an agency by which all men must now admit to have been, for good or for evil, the most powerful moral lever that has ever been applied to the affairs of man. And modern historian Michael Grant says, the most potent figure 
not only in the history of religion, but in world history as a whole, is Jesus Christ, the maker of one of the few revolutions which have lasted. Millions of men and women for century after century have found his life and teaching overwhelmingly significant and moving, and there is still ample reason why this should be so today. Over the last several times that I've taught, we've gone slowly and carefully through the Beatitudes, and then we went through the passages of how we are to be salt and light in this world. And next, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addressed something incredibly important to God's chosen people, the Jews, that they referred to as the Law of Moses. Now, please don't be like me and just let your eyes glass over at just the mention of the law. As I went through this, this past week, I really saw things in a different light. Let's read in Matthew 5, 17. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. It's interesting he started with that sentence because Jesus had been and still is greatly misunderstood for over 2,000 years by almost everybody, including those of us who follow him. He wants to make things perfectly clear, and this is very important. So let's go over it again. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. Those are a lot of the Old Testament book. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah. The religious leaders back then were totally convinced that Jesus was determined to undermine and actually abolish the law. They prided themselves on following every little detail and a huge list of do's and don'ts. And they became very upset over little things, like the story when Jesus and his disciples broke the heads off stalks of wheat to eat as a snack on the Sabbath because they were hungry. And they said, this constitutes harvesting according to their overly strict man-made definition. And everybody knew that work was not allowed on the Sabbath. And then when Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, they became so angry they decided he must be killed. Forget about having any compassion for the guy whose life had been horrible for years and years until Jesus healed him. Couldn't he wait until Monday to do that? Jesus was breaking all the rules and it was not to be tolerated. But Jesus had come to earth to display the gentle care that caused the law to be written in the first place to show mankind how to live the law in love. God did not give Moses the law or the guidelines for his chosen people out of meanness. No more than a mother gives her children rules and discipline out of a lack of love. God did it out of loving kindness. In Hebrew, the term for that is hased. And we're going to talk a lot about Hased in the weeks to come as we go through examples that Jesus gives us through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. The religious leaders turned the law into something 
It was never intended to be. Instead of using them as a roadmap for how to live a life pleasing to the Lord, they added to the law. They tacked on man-made rules, regulations, and restrictions, and then used those heavy burdens to build themselves up into positions of control and authority while holding the common people down, making it almost impossible for them to get any better. And Jesus made it clear he was not here to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. And then he added, no, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Now, instead of smallest detail, older translations will say, not even the tiniest pen stroke will disappear. The new King James says, not one jot or tittle will pass from the law until its purpose was fulfilled. The jot was the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. The tittle, a tiny little mark, distinguished one letter from another, like the bottom stroke of a capital E, so you could tell it from an F. Jesus was pointing out the literal inspiration of the Bible, even in things that might seem like small, unimportant details to us. He was basically saying that nothing, absolutely nothing in Scripture is without great importance, not even the tiniest stroke of the pen. Even those really hard-to-read parts for people like me, like all the numbers in the book of Numbers. Everything is there for a purpose, as was Jesus. He came to earth with a very distinct purpose, a set of them. He was here to fulfill the law and the words of the prophets in person as a living human being. And it's important for believers today to understand our relationship today to the law back then. A little, little bit of background here. The law is a system of legislation given by God through Moses to the nation of Israel. All the law is found in Exodus 20 through 31 in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. The essence is encompassed in the Ten Commandments, kind of the skeleton that all the law was built upon because there are actually hundreds of laws. And breaking the law came with the penalty of death. If you broke one command, you were guilty of breaking them all. And since man had broken the law, we were all under the curse of death. God's righteousness and holiness required that the penalty be paid. And that's exactly why Jesus came to earth, to pay the penalty for us through his death on the cross, as we talked about a few weeks back at Easter. He was our substitute. He died in our place, though he was completely sinless. Now, I get it. Today, this sounds very harsh, but there was absolutely nothing, not a single thing wrong with the law. God wrote it, so it was perfect. The problem is us. We are not perfect, not even anywhere close. Never have been, never will be until we're glorified in eternity with our Creator. Jesus willingly met those strict requirements through his death, so the gospel of the New Testament doesn't overturn the law. It upholds that law 
and shows that the demands of that law have been fully satisfied by the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So the person who trusts in Jesus as Lord and Savior, loves him and serves him, is no longer under the law. But please, don't ever forget that several times in Scripture, Jesus said, if you love me, do what I say. Any and every believer in Christ who does those things is now under what we call grace, blanket forgiveness for our sins. As it says in Romans 6.14, sin is no longer your master for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. The penalty has been paid so the believer does not owe a debt to death. Now this is important. Jesus did not say the law would never pass away. He said it would not pass away until it had fulfilled its purpose. And I know this, this, this kind of gets a little thick, but, but stay with me here. Pastor John MacArthur says, the words Christ spoke indicate he himself fulfilled the law in all its aspects. He fulfilled the moral law by keeping it perfectly. perfectly. He fulfilled ceremonial law by being the embodiment of everything those laws pointed to, the reason they were given in the first place. And he fulfilled the judicial law by personifying God's perfect justice. But we should never think that the New Testament replaces or nullifies the Old Testament laws. In fact, the mysteries behind some of them are now better revealed in the brighter light of the gospel. As an example, we now understand that the law was actually written to prove it was impossible for us to live a life where we could save ourselves. The law was actually given to show our human imperfection, our sin nature, our deep and constant need for a Savior. Ten simple commandments, plus the hundreds of other laws that were tacked onto the first ten, and not one of us could keep even the first ten for a year or a month. Anybody can go a day, let alone a lifetime. And this will become clearer over the next few times that, that, that I'm allowed to teach as, as Jesus goes into depth on subjects like anger and murder and divorce, making promises, forgiving, even things that sound impossible like loving our enemies. Because Jesus, in going over the subjects one by one, actually sets a higher standard than the religious leaders understood with the original law. But the big difference is not that he's being meaner and stricter. We are no longer under the law, but we certainly don't want to be, can't possibly live a decent life in civilization if we're lawless. A true believer is bound by something stronger than the law. Our behavior our actions and our attitudes will be shaped not by fear of punishment but by an ever-growing desire to please our Savior. Christ becomes our rule of life. So I know you're wondering, so do I have to obey the Ten Commandments or not? For the most part, yes, but hang on. Certain principles in the law are always relevant. 
It's always wrong to steal or murder. Honoring your parents and loving the Lord your God with all your heart are always great things to do, right? And we know that nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in a positive way as a great example in the New Testament. The only one that's not in there is keeping the Sabbath. But don't most of us think that <laughs> keeping some sort of Sabbath, giving our minds and bodies a regular time to rest and relax is a, is a great idea anyway? The big difference is that as believers, they are given to us not as laws, but as training, ways to live that lead us into becoming the righteous people God desires us to be. We learn along the way of following Jesus, as Lord and Savior, to train our brain, to do our very best, because we develop this deep desire to become more like Jesus. And falling short of the standards of the law no longer comes with the penalty of death for believers. But to those who don't follow Jesus, oh yeah, they're still in effect. Romans 8, 4 says, The righteousness demanded by the law is now fulfilled in those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And that, of course, refers to the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised He would send all believers after He departed the earth when we walk according to the Holy Spirit, the righteousness He gives to us meets the demands of the law. But that's not given to non-believers. Now, remember back at the beginning of the message when we were talking about the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees being convinced that Jesus was doing away with the law? They weren't the only ones. A lot of the common people that Jesus was teaching to back then were thinking that the things that Jesus said and did meant that he was abolishing the law. And many well-meaning and uninformed Christians today hope and believe that that's what happened, but it's not the case. Jesus expects us to this day to know God's law and to honor it. But we do this in living by the law, but under grace. John 1.17 says, The law came by Moses, but grace came by Jesus. Jesus made it clear that as long as creation exists, not one teeny tiny little jot or tittle of what God intended with the law will be taken away. And that is simply because the law is good. It is perfectly right in God's perfect sight. Now remember that Jesus said all this will be in effect until heaven and earth disappear. And by reading elsewhere in the Bible, particularly in the book of Revelation and a couple of other spots, we know that will happen someday. Our earth and heaven will melt away and there will be a new and improved heaven and a new earth. Dallas Willard writes, A time will come in human history when human beings will follow the Ten Commandments as regularly as they now fall to the ground when they step off the roof of a building. They will then be more astonished that someone would lie or steal or covet than they are now when someone will not do those things. It's coming. The law of God will be written in their hearts as the prophets foretold, and this is an essential part of the future triumph of Christ and the deliverance of humankind in history. End quote. 
As much as Jesus hated the way the religious leaders acted wrongly in their hearts about the commandments, he never told us not to carry them out, not to live them out. He said again and again, when given examples, this law is good, this law is good. And then he'd add, but I say, and we'll talk about that more down the road. He anticipated our natural tendency as humans to relax about them, to explain them away or rationalize our meaning, just like we do as kids when mom tells us, well, we can't do this, but she didn't say I couldn't do this part over here, right? But here, Jesus made it very clear. Matthew 5.19 says, So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Anybody want that? Anybody want to be called the least in the kingdom of heaven? Teachers, preachers, Bible study leaders, Sunday school people, mothers, fathers, this is important. I'm going to read it again. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, you could think of it from the standpoint, well, at least being called the least in the kingdom of heaven, at least I'll still be there, because our entrance into heaven is through faith alone. I, I, I love the verse in Scripture where it says, you know, a lot of us will make it sliding under the gate on flames, on fire, but we made it. But our position in the kingdom is determined by our faithfulness and obedience and good works while we're here on earth. It bothers me to think how many of us may be looking around in heaven and thinking, wow, I could have been, I should have done, or how I wish I would have run instead of walking or dragging my feet to serve the Lord or to share his word with others. I could have done so much more with the time and the abilities and the resources that Jesus gave me while I was here on earth. There's a great song on Caleb and KFLQ these days. What if today's the only day I've got? Why can't I just give it my last shot? Anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is very clearly pointing out those who live the commandments, do the commandments, and teach them are the greatest among human beings, while those who break the least and teach others to do the same are the worst. And if we're honest, we all know it's a very difficult question if we examine ourselves. How can I possibly keep all the law all of the time? And Jesus knew the answer, and that's why he told those who wanted to know how to do the works of God, what we read in John 6, 29. Put your confidence in the one God sent. It's all about our personal relationship with Jesus. Because the supernatural power of Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of us is the only way. We cannot keep the law by trying hard to keep the law. In order to succeed, we have to shoot for something more. We have to ask Jesus every day and multiple times every day to transform us into the kind of person that the deeds or good works of the law naturally flow from. 
Again, quoting Dallas Willard, he says, The apple tree naturally and easily produces apples because of its inner nature. That's the most crucial thing to remember if we want to understand Jesus' picture of the kingdom heart he gives on the Sermon on the Mount. That was the biggest mistake of the scribes and the Pharisees. They focused on the actions the law required. They made elaborate written specifications of exactly what those actions had to be. That's why breaking the head off of the, a, head, a, a, a stalk of grain was considered harvesting. And you can't do that and you can only walk this many steps and you can only do this and this and this. And then they generated huge social pressure to force conformity according to their interpretation. But their main concern was being self-conscious about doing the right thing and having other people thinking of them as doing the right thing. But the inner dimensions of their personality, their heart, and their character stayed contrary to what God requires. Their words and actions revealed the true content of their heart and their need to appear righteous in front of others constantly forced them into hypocrisy. In Matthew 5.20, Jesus says, But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that statement had to have shocked those who were listening. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests were seen as godly examples of how to live, and if they weren't good enough to make it in heaven, what chance do we have? Who was good enough? But Jesus wasn't making it impossible. He was just cutting through the fake veneer that looks so righteous on the outside to expose their sinful heart on the inside. While their actions made them look good to others, their attitudes showed the true sinfulness that they constantly had to try to hide. They looked pious, they seemed devoted to God, but their hearts were filled with selfish desires and a meanness that prevented others from developing a relationship with the Lord. And church, we have to be so careful about that these days with those outside of the church. We can't come across that way. Jesus cares so much more about our love and devotion to him than he does about sacrifice or, or our appearance. Want to make it to heaven? Give Jesus complete access to changing your heart. There's no other place to start. To Jesus and his Holy Spirit, what's important about us is that our heart is in the right place. He wants us to know the laws, and he wants us to do our best to try to learn to live them out. But those laws are useless if we know them, but we don't utilize them in a kind and loving way towards others. In other words, it's important to know the law, but the law is useless if we don't do what it says with the heart that it was written in. Now, as we go through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount in the weeks to come, you'll see Jesus give example after example of how man took what was written in the original law and used it with a hardness of heart that took it far away from its original intent. 
Jesus then used what uh, our friend Messianic Rabbi Russ Resnick refers to as divine reversal to help us see things from Jesus' point of view. Now, as I said at the beginning of the message, I don't know what about the law and the teaching about it just feels heavy to me. But I, I, I have to be careful. And I don't know, maybe because it seems so ancient, so old-fashioned, so impossible for me to live. I felt in teaching this passage, can I just skip over this and, 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 and go on to some of the other stuff? But I said we were going to do the Sermon on the Mount, and this is so important. And God has opened my eyes so much these past couple of weeks and reading through this and studying about it. Jesus is saying every part of Scripture has its purpose, and this section is incredibly important for all of us to clearly understand. And I admit, I am a very simple-minded person. I, I gladly admit, I'm just average. I'm really good at being average, but I am just average. But there are a lot of things in Scripture that are very deep and, and complicated, and this subject can be one of them, but it doesn't have to be. Thankfully, Jesus himself, at another important part of passage, uh, Scripture, simplified it for us in a beautiful way. Elsewhere in Scripture, speaking of the Pharisees, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-five, we read, One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Whoa, think about that. Everything the prophets wrote about all the hundreds of commandments and guidelines, even the things in the New Testament are all covered by those two simple commands. And in another scripture, Jesus called it his new command. He said, and I give to you a new command, love one another, right? So if we truly love the Lord our God with all our heart and everything we have, we won't have any other God. We won't make any kind of an idol or allow anything in our lives, our jobs, our home, our position, our power, our authority to become an idol. We won't worship anyone or anything else. We won't misuse the name of the Lord, using it in vain as a curse word, as you can't hardly watch a single television show or movie these days without hearing it repeatedly. Or, or using it very casually in conversation without thinking of the importance of uttering his name. And you will truly try to love your neighbor, meaning all other humans, as much as you do yourself. It's not natural, but you won't murder or hit or hurt or hate. And you won't cheat in your marriage. And you won't steal from someone else. And you won't lie about anyone else or testify falsely you won't covet what your neighbor has not their spouse or their property or their job and i'm sure you noticed that i skipped over a very special one going a little out of order there number five 
you will honor your mother and your father every single day of your life and especially today and then you will live a long and full life in the land your Lord is giving you we can do this this law is here not as a burden not as a chain to drown us in the waters of life but to help us to have buoyancy to allow us to be the person that God wants us to be to be the people he created us to be to be better than we believe that we can be to catch ourselves when we fall down and bruise ourselves when we curse at somebody who cuts us off in traffic when we hate somebody who votes for that other party or, or, or goes to another church or, or worships another God. We can be more and more like Jesus if we ask him into our hearts each and every day with a fresh start, forgiven again. And if there's anybody here this morning that's never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, none of these wonderful things, none of this transformation can happen until you invite him into your heart. Please come up to me or one of the pastors or counselors after service and just say, I want to get right with God. It's time. And we'll walk you through the first steps of the process. As the worship team comes up, I ask you to join me in prayer. Father God, thank you on this day when we honor our mothers for being such an amazing God, for loving us enough to give us guidelines and rules to live by just as a good mother does not because of meanness but because of incredible love and care wanting us not to hurt ourselves not to damage our lives not to destroy our relationships not to fall short of the creation that that you have given us the ability to become lord we're just amazed at all that you've done and all that you promise is still to come and we thank you for giving us another shot and as we leave here today that we would be filled with joy and wonder at the sunshine, at the warmth, even with the wicked wind that they tell us is coming later today, Lord. We would remember as much as we don't like the wind that the Scripture says the Spirit is in the wind. So, so help us feel like you're blowing the Holy Spirit right in one ear and out the other today as we enjoy this beautiful day with our mothers. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.